everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 403, Wild Card Reactions. Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. So I know it's a big, fun wild card weekend with some exciting finishes, some blowouts. But I think the real question on our listeners' mind is: Did Vasilis eat the hundred chicken wings on the Sunday of the wild card? So he turned up with the goal of eating the hundred. Like the previous week, he said he wasn't up for it. This time he turned up. He said he didn't know if he could do it, but he was really hungry. And But he only arrived at about 8.30, and the kitchen closes at 11. So it's a pretty small window to pack 100 wings in. because So he wasn't eating his first wing until, say, 9 o'clock. And he, 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 went in, he was ordering them by the 25, devoured the first 25, disappeared. I love it. It's two dozen and one. <laughs> and then... As he goes to wash his hands, I mean, they've given you the little like wipes, you know, but he's going, you know, you've, you've made a mess. So he's walking to the bathroom to wash his hands and en route order an additional 25. And so he gets back that the next 25 are there for him. At this point, he's eaten. The flavor that he wants is now gone. <laughs> his order of 50 has finished them off. They don't have the sauce he wants anymore. They don't have none left on the Sunday. So there he was already disappointed. I think he made a tactical mistake. So he was he was eating um, maple whiskey bacon wings. They're nice, but they are sweet. And yeah, I, think I don't like that sweet idea. Ones, I don't like it. I think you have to balance them. Like, I don't mind. I get them with some some buffalo and you and you kind of got the, the sweet and the hot. But just the pure sweetness, it's too much. And he started to feel that towards the end. Then after he ate his 50, he had to stop drinking alcohol and he quickly downed, I'd say three pints of Pepsi, just, just slurped it, just gone. Three pints, Pepsi gone, which he said was helping him bounce back. He said, there's nothing better in the world than being really full and having a Coke or a Pepsi. This is a quote that came out of his mouth. I think you're just filling your stomach then even more. Yeah, I mean, plus that's a lot he of sugar then, then when you're doing the honey wings and that. Sugar overload. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He then, he sat still. He was going to like give himself 30 minutes before he put in his other order. And during those 30 minutes, those wings just cemented Boom. in his stomach. <laughs> yeah. And he was, he was out for the count pretty quickly. And he, the noises that started coming out of him were not good. <laughs> You mean like internal stomach or like out of his mouth? Everything. Just (laughs) groans. Just everything. At one moment, we there's a second floor of the bar and there's a pool table up there. So we went up to play some pool. He was coming after us. I'm standing by the pool table and I just hear coming up the stairs. Oh. I like look over the banister and it's just Vass slowly walking up holding his stomach. At 50. At 50, which in reality was probably 60. 
because they're not counting them out and you're always getting a few extra. So he's probably really done 60 and he didn't count them. Afterwards, he regretted an amateur move. Didn't even count the wings he's eating in a wing eating contest. (laughs) I ate like 100 or 140, somewhere in that range. (laughs) Yeah. So then then he struggled for a solid hour. He was not himself. He was really not finding it easy. But after an hour, but he then had a second wind. Then he wanted more wings. But unfortunately, the kitchen was closed. And he was then adamant that if he had another hour, he would have eaten 100 wings. So he's now says that if he shows up at the bar at around 5, that between 5 and 11, he can do the 100 wings. Yeah, okay. I, I guess that's okay. But at a certain time point, you're just like extending it into an, a, an entire day. Like in an entire day, yeah. yeah I, I don't mean, think a hundred wings when you wake up in the morning and then go to bed at night is that impressive. No, no. But I, I think in from five to eleven, that's an oh right. That's still kind of you know one meal window. It's not like it's lunch and then dinner. I had fifty wings at lunch and fifty wings at dinner. I would say four to five hours should be the max window. Well, it, here's the other thing to factor in. This is Vasilis saying that he's going to turn up at five. That means he's turning up at six. <laughs> and that means he already had a chicken sandwich as he's coming through the door. Also true. <laughs> well, that was one of the things. He claimed he was really hungry. We asked why. And he said, well, because I haven't eaten anything today. And the other friend of ours who was with us, Furlong, was like, you haven't eaten anything? It's like eight o'clock. And he's like, no, I haven't eaten anything since early this morning. And I was like, yeah, but I bet you didn't wake up and, until 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Because I knew he'd been out partying until 8 in the morning. <laughs> and he was like, no, 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 no. I woke up at 12. And then I went to the, I went and got a glass of water and I went back to bed. And I was like, that doesn't count as waking up, Vasilis. Like, <laughs> if you, unless you like physically start your day, you've not woken up. And he was like, fine, okay. And I was like, so when did you wake up? He's like, when you texted me. I was like, I texted you at 5.30. He was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, but then I was lazy. So you texted me and I stayed in bed until 6. And then I went and took a shower and then I got back in bed. And then he was what like, What a so life this kid is living. What does he have to do? Does he have to bookend everything he does with going back in bed? <laughs> I mean, got a drink, much. went back to bed, took a shower, got back to bed, went to the gym, went back to bed. <laughs> so he, I think he like officially got out of bed at about 6.45. Um, maybe seven, pretty much when he was leaving the house. So I then said to him, like, the fact that you haven't eaten today becomes less impressive. It's like meeting me at eight in the morning and me being like, oh, I haven't eaten yet. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. it's not crazy. <laughs> it's been an hour. You need two things really for him to be able to do it. He needs to not go out until eight in the morning the day before. Because whilst that makes him hungry. He's hung over. He that he can't. He's not yeah. optimal. You know, there might be some little residual effect of the of the alcohol in the stomach. Yeah, I mean, he eats them fast. I will say, the twenty five disappear. <laughs> they the second time round in particular, because the first time round he was kind of talking while he was eating them. The second time round he wasn't talking at all, and I'd say he ate the twenty five wings in under five minutes. Wow! Like they were just the bowl arrived. He commented. This looks like a lot of wings. This is more than the last time. And it was he was right. They'd given him like a slightly bigger bowl. So it was probably 35. And he 
then I just turned away because the football was on. I was just watching that. And next thing I knew, I looked back and it was just a graveyard of bones. <laughs> well, I guess now that we spent the first eight minutes talking about some random quirky Greek guys wing eating challenge, maybe we should get to the to the real highlight of the weekend, which was Wild Card Weekend. Where would you like to start, Eddie? Do you want to get it out of the way? Do you want to do you want to start with the Niners? I mean, I think it's the only place you can really start because it's at least it was the only game that was actually a game. And the Bengals game was a was a game. Yeah, I mean, that's Carr true. threw an interception on the end zone to end it. But okay, let's start with the Niners. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I thought it was a really good performance from them, especially in the first half. I think they should have there was a fourth and one that they should have gone for when they settled for the field goal. I get the idea in the playoffs of taking points, but I do think you have to put your foot on the opposition's throat at one moment. Yeah. And, and especially you know, you the Niners, of... which have a solid run game. And if I heard this stat correctly, Jimmy G is like 14 of 14 on QB sneaks of one yard or less. It's insane. He's never not gotten it when he sneaks. So that was, to me, whenever the... I, Learning from Brady. So, yes. Actually, it's probably true. So that one, the fourth and one, they settled on the field goal. But what about the fourth and inches at the very end of the game? What did you feel about that one? So in that scenario, they were up six with the ball on, what, the 45-yard line? The Cowboys, 45, and it was a fourth and... Yeah, around midfield. Literally an inch. Fourth. Yeah. Uh, I kind of... I said I was speaking with Furlong about it, watching it. I said, I don't want them to go for it, but the smart decision is to go for it. Like the objectively in right, correct decision was to go for it. I think there's no doubt about the fact that they were the better team. The second half, they weren't as good. That first half was a pretty complete first half. The only thing they didn't do was maybe get, you know, instead of settling for a couple field goals, if there had been one more touchdown in that first half, then it would have been a pretty near on perfect first half but uh, I was impressed I mean the concern for them in terms of going into the next round is obviously the status of Bosa and Warner those are two concerning injuries from a defensive standpoint but I thought they played a really good game they ran the ball really well Jimmy G was faultless in the first half and then in the second half he had these classic Jimmy G moments where he he had that one bad overthrow on like third and 11 when he just, I think it was Ayuk on the left-hand side, wide open and overthrew him when you were getting a first down at a crucial stage of the game in terms of just keeping a possession and keeping the clock going. And also it would have put them at sort of midfield or wherever they would have been. So almost into getting more points. I And then the the interception is just inexcusable at that stage of the game. Yeah, like, I'm almost surprised that they're allowing him to throw the ball. Yeah, it, even though he had been very efficient up until that point, I would have said worst interception of of the weekend had it not been for Monday night <laughs> and Kyler Murray, no, which yeah, we'll get come, to later. It doesn't come. Cl- <laughs> it doesn't come close. But no, it was a good game too. I think it was an enjoyable game. And look, overall, I enjoyed the wild card weekend in the games. But the, the there there weren't there wasn't a lot of high quality football played. Almost every game. Well, involved that, one team playing terribly yeah i mean i think there was high quality football but the problem was there wasn't high quality on both sides <laughs> well 
I think in a couple of games, like I don't think the Bucks were ever really challenged. So I didn't. I don't think it made them play well to beat the Eagles. It's just the Eagles. It was kind of a non-event that game. Like I don't even think that's worth speaking about. Yeah. That was just the Eagles are not particularly good, and the Bucks just took care of business. The Chiefs. Chiefs looked pretty impressive. I mean, after they got after they that first fine. quarter, little slow start. I mean, they were pretty much on point after that. Yeah, it's the Steelers. You oh, can't I spend the season telling me the Steelers are t- absolute trash. Oh, no, no. Then... I, I mean, yeah, we can get to those games. But so for me, getting back to the Niners, I think that was the most impressive win of the weekend. And I think kind of what terms of what you're saying is that they beat a team that didn't look phenomenal, but still was a good team versus a lot of these other ones like the Bills. We can get to that game later, but I mean, I've been saying all year, I think the Patriots are, are pretty overrated and they did not come to play at all. Whereas the Niners, they had a win against a quality team and showed one that they can, that first half they can dominate, but then losing Bosa and losing Warner, I think kind of affected that second half a little bit. And two, they were able to hold on, which I think is, is important too. You know, they, they put their foot on the gas in the first half and didn't lose it in the second half. And that to me is the main concern with the Niners is because I mean, Jimmy G is going to have those interceptions. So if you cannot let that, yeah, cost he's got you one a game, game, you know, like he's if, got one. Yeah. You almost kind of want him to throw early. it in the first quarter. Throw it early. Yeah. <laughs> like, cause you know, it's coming at some point. So there's, there's an element of being like, Hey, you know what? First, like first play of the game, Jimmy, just like heave it up, punt it on the first game. Yeah. <laughs> like first, at first play. But no, I mean, look, and and I guess that it's worth paying some attention to the ending because yeah. I wouldn't say it was a controversial ending, but obviously I, I was well, I mean, frustrated. What I think it was controversial in, in the play call is the controversy. In the play call, yes. yeah. <laughs> the I was frustrated as the Cowboys went down the field because the Niners were doing that thing that we talk about all the time. And the Cowboys giving them a, actually did it. We say yeah, it every week and them, they never do it. <laughs> yeah, you're giving them a cheap 10 to 15 yards, letting them get out of bounds, occasionally letting them get one up the middle for sort of 10, 15 yards as well. But time is – after you've picked up the first 20, 30 yards, time's not an issue anymore. No. As it turned out, they managed to make it an issue again by deciding – I mean, with Dak Prescott deciding to take off, I get why he went for it. He should have had some kind of clock in his mind where he knows, right, I've got the first down, just get down. Like there's no, I mean, best case scenario, even if you're, even if the the official had like very quickly spotted the ball, they've got one second. Yeah. So they've, he's turned it into a one play game. You know, it's not from a decision making standpoint, it was just not smart. And it's kind of crazy that they, they did the right thing as they marched down the field right up into the moment when they couldn't afford to do the wrong thing. Yeah. Well, according to McCarthy, his reasoning was he thought it would be better to have three verticals on the 25 for one play than to have two just crazy Hail Marys from the 45 because you could probably have two in that time barring something happening. Now, what angers me is exactly what you're saying. Why is an option three another 10 yard out 
for five seconds and then another 10 yard out for five more seconds. And then you have the ball on the 20 or 25 with one legitimate play left. You know, I, I didn't understand that. So that was one thing, exactly what you're saying. They marched on the field, just doing nice 10 yards, stopping out 10 yards, stopping out. And that play that they ran that they were giving him it to him again. He had at least a 10, 12 yard cushion on him. So you, even if you're only getting six, you're still getting six in four seconds and then you can do it again. That would have been the better way. The other thing that is coming up a lot is how they can run that play, which clearly they've run in practice before. And you have that, like you said, that internal clock, but then always you have to give the ball to the ref. It's, it's not like this is some crazy obscure rule that no one knows about. I heard, I forget who it was on ESPN made, made a great point. Whenever you used to watch Larry Fitzgerald at end of games, he would catch the ball and then like sprint to the to the umpire referee and hand him the ball. Like that's an iconic image I have of Larry Fitzgerald yeah. making a catch and then instantly giving it to him. The players know it. Dak Prescott is a pro. He knows this. It's I, like I don't get it. I mean, it's an it's an issue that had already come up this season, right? Because you had the Chase Claypool incident with the Steelers when he got the first down and like pointed for the first down and celebrated and people ripped into him then and then that's when the Larry Fitzgerald comparisons came up a lot and, and showing the differences between the two behaviors. Uh, it's, yeah. I mean, people kind of, in the immediate aftermath of the game, I think there was a moment of thinking, oh, the, this was poor officiating. Wasn't. Like, oh, the, but it's no. like, this is just what they have to do. Yeah. Like, and I actually think the official did it pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's Given tough when, when there's like got the ball. 300 pound linemen in your way that won't move. Like that's the other part yes. too is these linemen are just as as responsible because they're getting set and not letting the official go in. Uh, I mean, well, yeah, and he was actually even kind of nice to them in the end. If you watch it back, he comes up and he tries to reset the ball. I don't know a foot backwards, and then the line, all the linemen are already set. So I think he then realizes this isn't going to happen. So he then kind of readjusts it and brings it forward by a couple of inches to even give the Cowboys the chance of potentially snapping the ball from where they'd set up. So already, in a sense, the official was kind of trying to do them a favor yeah. from there. It was it was, it was was an interesting ending to the game. I think the right team won. So, but... Yeah, I, yeah. I absolutely... I also think, think the other... I absolutely think the right team won. And for me... That was the most clear example of good coaching versus bad coaching, because we always talk about, you know, what makes a good coach or I guess we always talk about what makes a bad coach. And for me, all three things were on full display for McCarthy versus Shanahan. One is those first 10 to 15 plays we've mentioned before. Those are always scripted and rehearsed plays that they come out with a set game plan as this is the first either 10, 15, even if it's a 20 play drive, this is what we're going to run. And Shanahan came out and they drove down the field and scored that touchdown. McCarthy came out and it looked like it was like a circus. They had no idea what they were doing. So that's number one. Number two, discipline penalties. And that like couldn't be more obvious with some of the awful penalties the Cowboys were getting. I mean, that one by Gregory, the defensive holding, he literally grabbed the offensive tackle and just threw him to the ground. He, he tackled him. He, he suplexed him. I mean, that's a penalty that's, no matter that's the one what on you're the, doing. At the very end. That's the one on the, uh, on the, on the run, yes, too. Yes, on the run. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just... Which is... You, you rarely see uh, a defensive holding call yep. on a run. Yeah. 
I don't know what like, he was doing. It's, it's, it was the like it was one of those things when the flag came in and it's a run play. You're like, oh, offensive hold coming. Yep. Like this is this is the only thing that ever gets called on a run play. And it's like defensive holding. Yep. Like that's crazy. And then you watched it, and I think it was Romo. It was like, oh man, he just straight tackled them. <laughs> like even Romo couldn't believe yeah. it. And then obviously the number three time management, clock management, things like that. And I mean, you know, running out QB sneak to run out the game is as, as bad as that's going to get. And listening to other coaches, they even said most coaches have that set time in their head as to how long without a timeout, a play will take to get a spike. And the general consensus was at least 16 seconds but mostly up to 18 seconds to feel confident that you'll get a play. And he was at 14. So every other coach has that number, but for some reason, Mike McCarthy doesn't think that, you know, it's, it's going to happen. <laughs> no. Yeah, it was poor. I also think the other going back to even his original logic of the fact that he preferred the one play from the 25. I think sometimes down the stretch coaches also underestimate the possibility of penalties. Like you get a defense that's suddenly panicking, you run a serious, there's a serious chance that you get a defensive back who loses his man and just grabs hold of him because he thinks, I'm not going to give up the the game losing touchdown on, on my watch. So you always suddenly are on the risk of, okay, you've got one shot or maybe two shots from the 30. And then all of a sudden it's first and goal from the one. Like there's, you know, and, but yeah, it was, it was. But yeah, the right team won. So I think we can can kind of leave it there. I think over the course of the weekend, the right team won every game. I mean, yeah, we can talk about the Bengals game, which is the only other close one. I guess a controversial moment in that yeah. with the, the whistle that should have blown the play dead, but they allowed the touchdown to stand. Obviously, in the end, that proved to be crucial. You can't, as we've spoken about before, you can't just do the math and decide, well, let's strip four points off the Bengals. And because obviously a lot of games was yet to be played, but kind I mean, it was a very obvious whistle well before the the play was over. Like it's crazy. So for people who didn't see it, you have Burrow rolling out to his right. An official thinks he stepped out of bounds basically before he's made the throw blows the whistle instantly kind of bad officiating on that point. You'd think, Given the current, you would just. I mean, that was maybe allowed. That was terrible because the w- official that blows it is two feet from from him, and yeah. the replay you can see he's looking at his feet. It was. Yeah. I mean, for me, what I think when I rewatch that, so the whistle gets blown. I, I actually stopped it right at the time, and then I went online, and you could see exactly people have clocked it exactly when it stopped. You know, like where the ball is. It stops about halfway when the ball's halfway in the end zone is when the whistle starts. So to me, it's almost as if the official had the whistle in his mouth, like wanted to blow it, but then realized it was the mistake and tried to hold it in and just couldn't hold it in anymore and panicked and blew the whistle because it's it's about when the ball is halfway in the end zone. Now, my big argument with this is everyone is complaining that it's an inadvertent whistle. The Raiders got robbed because they should have redone that play. When you watch when the whistle is blown, there's only one player that would legit have a shot at that ball, and he's still he playing. He stops, though. He doesn't. 
No, 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 no. He, I disagree with he you. He jumps. You're looking at the, the wrong player angle. Closest, the player closest to the receiver, he's got his hands on his hips pretty much instantly. No, he jumps. By his side. You have to watch it again. No, he, no, he kind of hops. I No, no, no. The player who has the best chance of making a play on the ball clearly stops to me. Oh, I, now, whether I'll send or not you the wanna, picture. Whether or not you want to arm. <laughs> he's already in the I mean, air pictures. as the as the whistle's being blown. He's already making a play on the ball. But, but in the air, what does that mean? I mean, he's he's jumped. He's jumping to make a play on the ball. But I can take a picture of a guy stopping at the end of a, a play is breaking down. It's like, oh, plays plays dead, and he's hopping at the end of what he thinks is a dead ball, and I go, oh, look, he's still playing because he's in the air. Yeah, the guy. He's not his. His hands aren't outstretched. Yeah, they he's are. Not trying to block the. No, no. Yes, no. they are. We're not talking about the same. We're not talking about the same guy then. But the player closest now. I think the only solid argument is that probably there was no one in a real position to make a play on the ball. I think that's the argument. But the person closest definitely stops. Oh, I I I would disagree. I don't think he really stops. But. Getting to it then, had they then – see, this is what bothers me more. Had they then called that an inadvertent whistle, and I think regardless of whether that whistle is blown or not, he makes that catch. I don't think that defender makes that play. Then the Bengals would have, I think, a larger complaint that they got more screwed by not getting that touchdown. So either way, someone was getting screwed. So I think it's kind of strange that people are really arguing on the Raiders' mm. side. I dis because I disagree with you there because the the one the one assumes the whistle has had no impact on the play, and so they score. The other, if you if you think there's even a slight chance, a one percent chance that the whistle has had an impact on the play, then obviously that is the bigger mistake, and the solution to that is replaying the down. So in the very least, the Bengals get another opportunity, whereas the Raiders get no comeback. But if it's a one percent chance, then if you reverse that, and they did re- and they did inadvertently blow the whistle, that means that there is a ninety nine percent chance that the Bengals got screwed. So you think the one percent of no the no Raiders- no I wasn't uh, no no that was a hypothetical that I threw out there. I was not I'm not, I wasn't setting the I think there is a forty percent chance that whistle had an impact on that play. I think it's much much slower. To me, there's to me there's a zero percent doubt almost that the player in closest to the ball stops playing. The question becomes, could he have made any? Could he have influenced the play, the outcome in the play in any way? So that that to me is the bigger question. But clearly, you have to, you have to replay the down. I mean, you can't because because otherwise you can't, you can't kind of you know. I mean, what's the one thing you get drilled into you as a little kid? Play to the whistle, and then there's <laughs> oh, a the whistle. Past the whistle. whistle goes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Always play five seconds past the whistle, kids. Yep. Even if that means you absolutely deck a guy away after the play is dead. You know, like but but in in the end, in a sense, that was the game that interested me the least. Yep. Uh, I think, and. I'll say this. I think the Bengals are the only team that won where they did not go up in my estimation in any way whatsoever through their win. I think every other team, the Bills, okay, the Patriots were bad. I don't think we have to spend too much time on that game. Oh, I'd love to spend time on how bad the Patriots are. (laughs) 
the Patriots were, but the Bills offensively were really good. So in the very least, it looks as if Josh Allen is coming into the playoffs in really good form. And for them, that's huge. So the Bills kind of pushed up a little bit in my estimation. The Bucks, you know, Tom Brady looked efficient. He looked fine. The Chiefs as well. And I mean, the Rams went up in my estimation a little bit. Although I think the outcome of that game was more that the Cardinals went way down Oof. in my estimation, which is saying something because they weren't that my I did not think that highly of them going into that game. But that was a ter- oh, let's spend some time talking about that game because it's the one freshest in my memory. But that was one of the worst playoff quarterbacking performances I've ever watched. Unreal. It was one of the worst head coaching jobs I've ever watched in the playoffs. I mean, I think Cliff Kingsbury needs to be fired. I think he's terrible. I mean, I wish I could argue and say, you know, they were, what were they this year, 11 and 5 or 11 and 6? You know, I wish I could argue and say, hey, the guy had 11 wins, but it really matters when you get put into a big game situation. And again, you go through those same three things we just talked about with why McCarthy had a terrible performance. Talk about not coming prepared. Their first 10 or 15 plays, I don't think, I mean, I think he was just pulling them out of a hat. They were some of the worst plays I've ever seen called. And then the adjustment of, holy crap, this D line is killing our offensive line. So you know what we'll do? Let's have Murray have a seven-step drop and try and go 25-yard pass routes. Like, no, go go short. Do something. Try and, like, it was bad. It was bad. Just overall, here's, he was outcoached. Here's the issue is I don't know where the blame starts and ends head coach versus quarterback because there's a moment of I'm sure Cliff Kingsbury is at times standing on those sidelines going, that's not at all what I wanted my quarterback to do. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't tell you to take a nine step drop and then run around like a moron in the backfield until you got hit. I didn't tell you to start getting sacked in the end zone and then just think, fuck it, throw it in the air and hope for the best. Like, no, that wasn't even a throw. (laughs) You can't even call that a throw. Underhand, (laughs) underarm toss. There you go. Like, and that's always without being privy to like the play calling and to really know exactly what it is they had in mind. It's sometimes kind of difficult to know, right? When was that a player's executing poorly or was it when was it bad play calling? Yeah. But um, I also think, you know, piggybacking off of that, I think as a head coach, though, with a young quarterback, you have a little bit of a responsibility of easing them into the game and getting them comfortable. Like I look at Joe Burrow with the Bengals. They came out and he had a few real quick short passes get into a nice rhythm, get Chase in the game, get them moving, get some confidence building versus Murray. He's He can run well, and he has decent accuracy. And the first six, seven plays, you know, it was either like handoff up the middle or five to seven step drop with six guys coming into his face. Like that's not getting someone comfortable. And then you could tell he was so uncomfortable after that first drive, and then he was done. He got into his head and he was done. After that first drive, you could tell it. I said his body language over the past few weeks has been a cause for concern. And there was nothing about his body language yesterday that made me less concerned about that. I have, I think he's got a major question mark, to be perfectly honest, as to whether or not he is a legitimate NFL starting quarterback. 
Yes, when he is fully healthy and his team is fully healthy, he can do some incredibly dynamic things and their offense can look incredible. But it's a little gimmicky. It relies too much on him, on busted plays and him doing something incredible or on really big plays. And look, the game, you know, there was that there was that throw down field early on. What was that when the Rams were, it was 7-0, I think. The throw down field where he had two receivers in the end each one of them kind of left it for the other. Yeah. They probably both had a chance to catch it. Slightly his that, fault though, too. I mean, he had two guys open and he threw it in between them. <laughs> I mean, it's a 50 throw 50 yards downfield from his own end zone under pressure. I'm not going to blame him too much. I'm going to put more responsibility there on the receiver who decides I'll leave this to the other guy. But you know, as silly as it sounds in a game that was a total blowout, just a play like that could have completely changed how that game went. I don't think it would have just because the Rams were getting pressure on the Cardinals at will. I mean, Von Miller, it's like they stuck him in a time machine. He actually looked like he could play football again. Yeah. Well, so, so did OBJ. And <laughs> also true. Yeah, they put a few. They, You know, that Rams team, and so did Matthew Stafford, actually. Yeah. That Rams team went back to like 2014 for that game. Meanwhile, J.J. Watt went forward to 2024. <laughs> like he actually, was, he made a few tackles. He, looked, he, <laughs> he did more than I thought he was going to do. Oh, when the game was over, he suddenly became a force. <laughs> Classic J.J. Watt, you know, like padding the stats a little bit so that he can say he had an impact on a game that was done and dusted by the time he touched an opposition player. But, yeah. Oh, I mean, it's just a weekend mostly of blowouts. I, the only thing to talk about, I guess, from the Bills-Patriots game was that dildo getting thrown on the field. That's got a lot of attention. The what? You didn't see the dildo that got thrown on the field after the Patriots scored their touchdown? No, I just saw it drop out of Belichick's pocket. Oh, God. <laughs> so yeah that was the only thing and i just liked that the patriots posted they tweeted out a video of the touchdown then realized that a dildo was very clearly visible in the end zone directly behind all of the players so then they re-edited the video so that it ended before the dildo was visible and then reposted the touchdown i thought that was interesting but now i mean did you see that next- in the last two games now against the patriots the bills never punted (laughs) that's pretty crazy and they had a this was the first perfect game ever in nfl history where there was they scored on every touchdown uh they scored a touchdown on every possession except the kneel down at the end for for the win which is unfortunate they probably they should have tried to score with no time left that would have been the better move (laughs) but and hey the only other the only other really talking one i have We've obviously debated in the past when I said I was convinced I could kick a rugby ball and hit the top of the Racing Metro state, the roof. Oh, yeah. Well, the Cowboys game punt hit the hit the scoreboard. <laughs> I don't know if you saw, but why was the punter so angry about it? Did you see how upset he was? Know. Like, dude, relax. Yeah. Calm down. Was he, it must not have been it. a great punt because it went too high. So relax. Yeah. He was adamant. He was so pissed. Also... You're the Cowboys punter. Like, it's one thing if you're on the road and you're like, oh, that would have been a perfect punt in any other stadium. And it's like, you play 50% of your games there. You should have your punts down to a T as to how you do it there. You have to take that into consideration. 
the confusing thing from my standpoint was the bar we were in did not have the sound on for the game. So you just saw the punt and it just looked like a bad punt because you didn't, it's not like you saw the apex, you didn't see it hit. So just saw it come down short, all the players stopped. And then like 20 seconds later, it was like, why are they punting again? <laughs> There's no, there was no clear explanation. And then it was like, they saw the replay like, oh yeah, it hit the scoreboard. It's it's a shame you didn't have moment. sound on the bar because you could have heard when Troy Aikman, who was announcing the Bucks Eagles, just openly commented, I really wish I was announcing the Niners Cowboys game, <laughs> not this game. <laughs> that was pretty epic, which I mean, in, in fairness, he's right. And, and so that was the other point I kind of wanted to bring up maybe to wrap it up a little bit is, yeah, it's really exciting that we have six games on Wild Card Weekend, but now this extra seed they've put in, the seventh seed, in the past two years, three out of the four games have been absolute blowouts. And if you're a team, here, here's here's my argument again. I understand more football is always great football, but if you're a team like the Bucks and you would have had a bye, but instead you have Tristan Wirth's, your offensive tackle, who is now almost your cornerstone tackle in his second year is now out because of this game. You've got to be a little pissed because you played a team that had no right to be in the playoffs. I mean, they, they're off. I disagree with you on two counts. The first is look, if you really want that week off and to play one game less, then you got to earn the buy. You got to win your games in the regular season. And, you know, I think there's that argument. And I kind of like the fact that it really turns getting the number one seed into an advantage. That before it's like, nah, we know we're one of the two best teams. We're definitely going to get one of the top two seeds. Like, for there are a lot of times where a lot of teams would be like, yeah, we're pretty certain. We, we're either going to go 13 and th- well, I guess now we're either going to go 14 and three or 13 and four. And that's going to be good enough for the one or the two. But this year Whereas it went now, down to the end. The, the second seed was di- was picked in the last week for both. So it would still be the same thing, right? Like to get the buy. No. The first no, seed no, was locked up for a while in the in the NFC. But that's no, but that's not my point. My, I, I know what you're saying. Point Your is, point is you want to play harder to get the one seed. But what I'm saying is you still would have to have played just as hard to get the two seed this year. No, no, no. It's not about. It's not. I'm not accusing teams of like taking the foot off the pedal at some point in the, over the course of the season. My point is, you can't mess up. It's removing the possibility for error, and I, I think it's. You're trying to like. Otherwise, you get it. What's the big difference between the one seed and the two seed? Oh, you potentially have home field in the championship game. That's it. That's your big advantage which you might have anyway, even if you're the two seed, because the one seed might get knocked out on the way there. So you have home field advantage the whole way through the playoffs anyway. So for starters, it makes the advantage, it makes it suddenly gives like a huge benefit to being the one seed. You got guaranteed home field through the playoffs and you get, you're the only team on your side with a buy. That's a major win. That's a, that's a real reason to not have sloppy games over the course of the season. And all of those teams you're naming behind, the Bills lost to terrible teams. The Bills lost to the who they lose to the the Jets? No, Jags. The Titans? The Jags. That's your own fault. You want to be the one seed? Don't lose to the Jags. 
Like, I don't think you should get a buy because you couldn't, oh, well, you lost to the Jags, but you still get a buy. And, and then I think my other argument is, I think there's been a little bit of bad luck then in a way that maybe over the last couple of years, on a couple of occasions, we've seen the best team not get the one seed. And then on top of it, we've seen so that the worst team in the playoffs is playing the best team in the playoffs in the first round, if you see what I mean. Like, and then on top of it, the other thing is in the final weeks of the season, and this is good for those teams, but we've seen teams scrape into the playoffs when probably a couple of better teams, again, their own fault, but have sat and watched. Like there was nothing about watching the Eagles playing yesterday that made me think they were one of the best 10 teams in the NFL. Or Sunday, you see what I mean? Or one of the best 15 teams in the NFL. So there's teams who are at home watching right now, be that the Chargers or the Colts or whoever they are, who would be thinking to themselves, like, let's be real. If the Colts hadn't messed up against the Jags, we don't see the Steelers. Yeah, no, so of course. That's, yeah. So already that's one big improvement. The Colts would have done a better job of of playing in the in the in this round of the playoffs that would have made the whole slate of games that little bit better. Yeah. That's their own fault. Maybe we give it a few more years. But if it's two more years like that, then I think at a point I'd rather watch more competitive games than to see the Bucks go out and put up what 31, be up 31 nothing halfway through the third quarter or to the start of the fourth quarter. Like I mean that game just at, at a point, it wasn't even, I, I turned it off. It wasn't even fun to watch anymore. And I would like playoff games to be enjoyable, at least that you're going to watch the entire game. But it is it is a short, you know, it's only four and then a four. So give it a little more time and, and let's see. But as of right now, it looks like that seven seed is is a big drop off. And you could even argue maybe the six seed with the Patriots just being absolutely atrocious. And does does this finally... And the Josh Allen isn't good in cold games. Can we stop saying that? Because I had to hear that a thousand times. You know, like, oh, can the Patriots win? Well, they might because, you know, historically, Josh Allen isn't good in cold weather games, even though you'd think from Wyoming, he's actually a California guy, doesn't like cold weather. I mean, let's please put that to end now. (laughs) I I wasn't saying that in the first place. I will say it was – I think there are two different types of cold – and that fell into the category of cold on paper, but not cold in reality. Well, I think it was cold. I, there are is. you saying cold versus snow and unplayable conditions? <laughs> well, I think, I mean, I, we've both at different moments in our lives lived in cold weather places. It's when you have the big wind chill that that's when you have real cold. It was like minus seven with the wind chill, which is cold. Right, but minus, uh, it's not too bad. <laughs> It was like the fifth coldest game ever. <laughs> but it wasn't really. It wasn't with wind chill. It was the fifth coldest game ever on raw temperature. Yeah. That not, ice ball. Not with wind chill. When they factor. showed those numbers and then you looked at the ice ball and it was, I think, minus 55 or something they said. How could you even play in that? That's People could die in that But weather. I mean, it's, it's, even, <laughs> it's even radically different if you remember that Seahawks-Vikings uh, game from when five, six years ago when the Vikings mixed the kick at the very end of the game. You know, the that was a uh, Walsh. Walsh has missed 
uh, field goal. That was a clearly freezing game. Like when you go back to the highlights of that, you see players who are absolutely freezing at all times. They didn't look throughout that Bills Patriots game. The players were not freezing. You didn't have players like actually shivering throughout. Yes, they're cold. They go on, they put the massive jacket on and stand next to a heater and they're fine. <laughs> Can I? No, but they're, they're not fine. cold. They only put on like an industrial size jacket and sit next to a massive heater, but they're actually not cold. They're just doing that for, for logistics. <laughs> well, I'm not cold right now wearing indoors with the heating on and the sweater. If I went and stood outside, I would be cold right now. That's my argument is if you're in a position to easily warm yourself, it's not so bad. But, but yeah. So, okay, I have, I have a question for you. Now, going into this next round, eight teams, given the how they're playing currently and who they're up against, what quarterback do you would you like trust the most? Well, the team I trust the most coming into this weekend, uh, quarterback trust, I think, is hard because I can trust the quarterback and still, I mean, I trust Brady the most. Still trust Brady against a Rams defense that looked pretty, pretty dominant up front. Yeah, but I trust Brady. I don't trust the Bucks the most, though, but I trust Brady the most. I trust that Brady will not be the reason the Bucks lose. See, I, whereas. Okay. I will actually say almost every other quarterback across the slate could be the reason their team loses. I mean, I think Aaron Rodgers, you think that as well? Or because he's going against the Niners, you think? I mean, he's got a bad track record against the Niners in the playoffs. He does. But look, this, this is this is Aaron Rodgers. And just when he's starting to zig, he loves to zag. And right now it's a little bit of an Aaron Rodgers love fest. Oh, how good was he this season? Wouldn't it be just him playing? And this is not me knocking him in terms of how good he is. He's an incredible quarterback. But it would just be perfect for Aaron Rodgers to go out and be, you know, 22 for 44 for with three interceptions for 250 yards. And people would be like, oh, <laughs> difference between Aaron Rodgers in the regular season and the postseason. This is, And then you suddenly have this retelling of Aaron. You know, this is where the reason why he hasn't won as many Super Bowls as people think he should if he's the best quarterback in the league. <laughs> you know, that is a storyline we are probably going to hear at some point this year because – Packers probably aren't going to win the Super Bowl. And at that point, people have to go back on the fact that they've been spending the last almost 24 months talking about how Aaron Rodgers is absolutely the best quarterback in the league. So let me flip it then. What quarterback worries you the most that could just de derail their team? Uh, there's two. Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay, for sure. He's one of them. It's <laughs> 100%. Definitely, especially if you get into a situation where, which you could against the Packers, you have to start, you're chasing the game, and you're going to have to start throwing the ball. And he did that really well in the comeback against the Rams, but I don't love having Jimmy G in that situation. So there's definitely that. The other one, I will say, is Josh Allen. Really? Just because I think so much of the Bills' success revolves, revolves around everything that he does running the ball, throwing the ball, everything. And he's had moments in his career where just things have been a little bit off. And when he's a little bit off, the bills are really off. 
So that's kind of not his fault. Like he's there are wide dimensional bills. Yes. I don't they don't have a backup plan. Yeah. It's not uh oh, Josh Allen's a B today, but it's okay. Our running game could be an A plus. It's like well, our running game's gonna be a D. <laughs> so maybe it'll be a C plus. We're gonna be <laughs> Yeah. The other one I would think would be Stafford. Just because he doesn't have a great record in a postseason. And even this year you've seen games that he has kind of cost his team the game with bad throws, dumb mistakes. And while they have a good run game, I still think in the end it's him getting the ball to Cup, to Higby, to to now OBJ, Jefferson. You know, they do throw a lot. And if he has two, three bad plays, that could that could end that game. Because you're you can only you can't give Brady a lot of opportunities to get you. You know, those are easy. You don't you can't make mistakes do, against Brady because he'll capitalize. Do you think if Matthew Stafford got hurt this week, do you think the Rams would rather have Ben Roethlisberger or OBJ start a quarterback? <laughs> I would probably have OBJ and just run Wildcat and every throw once in a while. He's what is it? Uh, I think he's like four for six in his career. I'm happy for him in the sense that he's a good player and. You know, when he was at the Browns, I wanted him to succeed. I'm unhappy for him in the sense that I hate the the people who are insistent on, well, this is this is OBJ without Mayfield, without Baker Mayfield holding him back. Yeah. That's infuriating. Yeah. Because we've seen him with different quarterbacks in a lot of different situations, including at the beginning. With That's one good game, really, for the Rams now. If he now runs the slate in the playoffs and is, is getting 100 yards receiving – every game then fair enough but that's one good game yeah and you're right it's i'm not i'm not it's unfortunate i mean yeah okay maybe he has an upgrade at quarterback but he also has an upgrade on every other aspect of every player on that field no offense to jarvis landry but cooper cup is 10 times better wide receiver number one than he is i mean you know no offense to um the tight end njoku Higby is way better than he is. You know, their their third wide receiver with Jefferson is way better than anything the Browns are putting in there. I mean, they just have the play calling is a thousand times better. You know, of course he's going to be better there. The part who who on the Browns would you like to offend? What do you mean? <laughs> no, because it was like no offense to uh, blah blah blah. No offense to. I wouldn't say blah, Freddie blah. Kitchens. Didn't but know he's if not there, there anymore. <laughs> didn't know if there was a particular person who you want to be like all all intended offense. No. The, the thing, yeah, I, I'm fine with it. I'm, listen, I've always kind of been an OBJ fan when he was on the Giants and people hated him being on the Giants. I, I you know, he's, he's a playmaker. He makes plays, but you have other things you have to deal with. The part that bothers me is what you're saying, this whole, like, look what happens when he's got a great team. Yeah, of course, or like no Baker Mayfield. But it will be disappointing to see him start to become, again, the super vocal, outspoken annoyingness. Like right now, I have to respect that he's... He, you he, even saw it yesterday with the level yes, of celebrations exactly. after yes. every every yep. catch, every first exactly. down required a massive... It's like, all right, you're not the star of the show. Let's, yep. let, the, let the play do the talking for a little bit because for the last three seasons, there's been no talking coming from the play. Yep. So it's give us exactly what I saw yesterday. I mean, the first two, three weeks he was there, 
He got in when he got in. He made plays seem slightly quiet, but now that he's getting more playing time and he's getting more attention, it instantly kicks in that he's got to be, you know, like the, the, the prime time show, you know, everything has got to be a celebration and that the emotion of being like a 12 year old out there, he, it's got to calm down. Otherwise he's not going to gain any fans anymore. <laughs> it's, you know, he, he's got to redeem himself a little bit. Yeah. I guess that's pretty much wraps up a fairly one-sided wildcard weekend. Guess we can move on to one of the other hot topics from the weekend, something we've discussed ad nauseum over the past couple of weeks, but the uh, the Djokovic debacle kindly finally came to an end with the ultimate decision of revoking his visa and not allowing him to take part in the Australian Open. I think this has kind of been done to death for the most part, and by now everyone's up to speed and has a pretty good understanding, if they want to have a good understanding of exactly what happened. I did find it interesting there is now, there are serious questions being raised as to whether or not he will be able to play in the French Open because France is switching from a... uh, covid app that just requires you to either have a vaccination or a negative test in order to go into public spaces to a vaccine pass so you need to prove that you are vaccinated for example to attend Roland Garros you will need to have this so there are now questions being asked as to whether or not Djokovic will be allowed to play in the French Open which is not necessarily the biggest miss for him because assuming a healthy Rafael Nadal it's not exactly a happy hunting ground for Djokovic most seasons. But the I did see that Lacoste, who are his main sponsor from a clothing standpoint, have come out and said that they will be getting in contact with Djokovic once he is back in Europe and wanting a full explanation for him from him as to exactly what happened and assessing their ongoing relationship with Novak Djokovic based on the attention that this sort of action brings to their brand. Yeah, it's this is a bad fall from grace. <laughs> and part of it maybe isn't even his fault. It's just now it's this whole back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until he's gone. Maybe that a little bit is out some of it's out of his control, but it's just the more it progresses, the worse it makes him look clearly. And the other issue is it's going to start affecting his his like career aspirations and goals because obviously he still thinks he can win another, what, let's say, five majors, six majors. And now, you know, he's lost the chance to do the Australian Open. He might lose the chance to win the French Open. And there's talk, right, that he might be banned from Australia for three years. I mean, that could seriously affect how many majors he ends up winning in his career. Yeah. I mean, there's, so there's an element here of balancing. I, I don't think that will happen. That is, I do watch like border control. It's like a, occasionally when I'm bored during the, during the day on like daytime television, which is a show all about, all about the Australian border force, not letting people in or people getting into trouble for bringing food in surprisingly compelling viewing. If you have nothing going on during the day, but that's what is always that's the standard thing in Australia. If you're in, in any way in breach of your visa, then the maximum penalty is a three year exemption from being able to uh, enter Australia. I doubt that will happen to him. But 
Yeah, I mean, the French Open one, that might be impossible for him to get around. He's also kind of painted himself into a corner now where if he gets vaccinated, he'll probably get a lot of criticism from people on both sides. There'll be people who think he should be vaccinated who will be critical of him for being like, oh, well, now you only get vaccinated because it's starting to impact your career. And then you'll have people who don't think you should get vaccinated of being like, oh, what a snowflake. Now he's giving in to the to people making him get vaccinated. So it's, he's kind of put himself in a difficult position from that perspective. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad it's over. And obviously the tournament has started. There's no way he's going to suddenly slip back in uh, from the I mean, tournament organizer standpoint is probably a little bit of a shame because they probably would have loved the additional attention for every Novak Djokovic match. But he makes $41 million a year from sponsorships. So if this does start to have... Now, he's Novak Djokovic. If Lacoste stops sponsoring him, I'm sure someone else will. But there is a possibility that it could start to have some impact on his finances. Although, I mean, he should be well said at this point, but uh, definitely an interesting one. I did also see, we've obviously mentioned Nick Kyrgios over the last couple of weeks, and also in his defense of Djokovic, but he made his comeback uh, yesterday morning, and uh, in true Nick Kyrgios fashion, he uh, had a first serve for an ace in his first game for, uh, that was, I think, clocked at around 220 kilometers an hour, so pretty quick. And then he followed it up by uh, an underarm serve between his legs. And then won that point. And pre- <laughs> He's amazing. <laughs> and won that point and, and celebrated very extravagantly, pointing at the court, trying to emphasize the fact that this is kind of his home. And in particular on that court, that one court at the Australian Open where he has an extremely good record. What a character. He's really matured over time. <laughs> Actually, I had one in a backtrack to football. I had one talking point. I don't know if you saw this. It was in a buildup to the Bills game. And actually in talking about Josh Allen's inability to play in cold weather. I don't know if you saw Bart Scott with the advice that he gave Josh Allen on a pregame show talking about how Josh Allen could get more pumped up for the performance no he suggested that he take viagra oh yes and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then said that back in his day most players took viagra before a game to get the blood rug going i mean couldn't you just take other medications that increase blood flow that don't also increase Especially with the clothing that f- football players wear. I mean, not much place to hide it. I, I would have definitely thought there are better things to take. Uh, I thought it, it's a really awkward comment. It makes me now have to rethink how often I'm watching football players run around and they've just got massive hard-ons while they're doing it. Just Maybe, I mean, Jimmy G took a blow to the nuts this weekend. Maybe, maybe he Now was that fully, was great. Maybe he was fully erect at the time. Now, what was really funny was, so for anyone who didn't see, Jimmy G just straight took a, like, a grab. I would say it was a grab. The defender went to grab around his waist and leg, but instead just grabbed his crotch and, like, ripped at it. During that play, I happened to be watching that game 
on Nickelodeon because I wanted to see what the Nickelodeon broadcast was all about because every year now they do that, you know, they do the live game on Nickelodeon and it just happened to be when that play happened and Nate Burleson played it off really well because you saw it and then, so it's the exact same feed that you see on the, the other one on CBS. So you saw him like, go for it like uh like oh you know i'm like oh my crotch <laughs> and nate Brosen was like oh looks like he might have hurt his hand on that let's hope it's not his throwing hand and you can clearly tell it's not his hand <laughs> but he played it pretty well i was just waiting for for something to to pop up on this nickelodeon broadcast that would have definitely ended the future nickelodeon broadcast but uh he played it off he played it off well i was i was impressed and then after the game, uh, the Niners fullback, what's his name? Uh, Juice. Kyle Juszczyk. Yeah, he got he got slimed at the end of the game. Another quirky Ivy Leaguer, you know. Yeah. Speaking of which, I, you know, with uh, Mr. Quirkster himself in attendance at the Bills game, Ryan Fitzpatrick in the, in the stands with no shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> So is is he a free agent (laughs) or is he just openly rooting for the bills still on the dolphins? (laughs) I don't know actually, but I, part of me likes it. He just seems to do what he wants to do and, and, and lives his life. But knowing how smart he is, because obviously you don't go to Harvard unless you are to like play as a quarterback, it's not as if you're just there because you're a good football player. He's obviously pretty intelligent at the same time. Don't want to overstate. I do sometimes think people see athletes from Harvard and assume they if they if Ryan Fitzpatrick hadn't decided to play football, he would have been winning multiple Nobel prizes. But you know, it's somewhere in the middle there. But he everything I can't help but always feel as if it's just a really calculated decision and being I'm going to be really weird. And by being weird, I will be relevant for a lot longer than I would be as just a backup quarterback. And he's achieving that. But I'm always torn as to whether or not it should be. Look at that guy who's just a millionaire having fun and knows how awesome his life is and kind of doesn't care about the stuff that he's doing, which is sort of the attitude that you should have to instead thinking, man, that guy's planning out everything. I don't think he's planning it. I think he's just living his life and he's just a quirky guy living a quirky life. Did he plan on having eight children to make him relevant as well? <laughs> Figures if he can, if he can get as many kids out there, then maybe yeah, one of probably. them goes to like a D one school and then he gets brought up again in 15 years. <laughs> probably like the, the, yeah, he wants, the, he wants the Fitzpatrick's to be the new Mannings. He wants his army against Philip Rivers army for the weirdest quarterbacks family going against each other head to head. Now that's a TV show. If you don't think five years from now, if we can get both of them involved and I don't know what ages all of their children are, but if we couldn't have like a, a total wipeout style TV show where it was just rivers versus Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick's. You can also throw in uh, Dominic Rogers Cromartie because he has, I think, Almost 10 kids as well. <laughs> yeah, he's not famous enough, though. You need a quarterback. We, we spoke about the African Cup of Nations a little bit last time just because of the refereeing mishap in the Mali game. Every time the African Cup of Nations rolls around, 
there's a lot of people who try and convince you it's good. I've watched quite a lot of it this year because it's just fallen like during work hours, it's on in the background and it's fairly easy viewing. I'm not emotionally invested in any one particular team, so it can kind of just be there and I'm just watching it. The standard is atrocious. I don't want anyone to try and tell me that it's good. I don't want anyone to try and tell me that people should be going out of their way to watch it. That isn't to say that there are there are obviously some world-class African players and there are some good national teams within that. But the overall standard of play to have multiple teams competing in just a continental tournament that is worth paying attention to, it's not there. I mean, it sounds awful. The only one that really has a consistently high standard of play is pretty much Europe. South Africa gets helped by South Africa. South America gets helped by the fact that it's just a smaller continent in terms of the number of nations. And so... What about North America? The Gold <laughs> Cup is terrible. <laughs> I mean, let's just pencil Mexico and the U.S. into the final every time, and then just watch watch them play each other. And hey, don't slight Alfonso Davies. <laughs> He's a great example. Arguably the best left back in the world. Terrible national team. Yeah, maybe no. they'll. Yes, you know, like he. You're saying that the team he plays for is terrible, not that he plays terribly on the national team. No, no, yeah. but it's like he, you know, the same argument would get be, get applied. Yes, he is a great player. I love watching him play for Bayern Munich. But that doesn't mean I need to tune in to watch Canada. <laughs> it's not. It doesn't make Canada against Honduras suddenly compelling. And this is the issue I've got with the... Just because I tune into a game and go, oh yeah, I know that one guy from playing in Europe. He's pretty good. And I'm not saying they have to be... You have to play in Europe to be good. But it will be that and then suddenly realize, but all these other players are pretty awful. I mean... Same reason I don't just sit down on a weekend and casually watch, you know, the conference or the Scottish third division. Like, <laughs> I just don't just love the game so much that I go, oh, let's just watch this pure version of the sport where money isn't a factor. Yeah, I have not watched a single second of that, so I can't comment on how I mean, good it, or bad it, it is. <laughs> to me, it always just spins back a little bit to that argument. It's like people who are diehards that like March Madness is way better than the NBA. Now, the excitement of March Madness is great in terms of the buzzer beaters and the days when there's like every five minutes a different game is ending. And so in the space of an hour, you might see six or seven close games finish and you don't know who any of the players are, but it's still funny to watch a kid make the miss the biggest shot of his life or make the biggest shot of his life. Fun. But the people who try and convince you that watching college basketball is like more enjoyable than watching the NBA have either never watched the NBA or have never watched college basketball because college basketball is awful. Like it is barring, you know, bar the top two or three teams that play, you know, like if it's Kentucky or good one year or whoever it is, the rest of them, when you just watch, especially, I mean, I had this conversation in the bar the other day when there was an NBA game on, I find even the NBA hard to watch just because like the golden state warriors have kind of ruined basketball. Because now just everyone just jacks up threes, and when it, when you're when you're the Golden State Warriors, it it's great. And I say Golden State Warriors, it's Golden State Warriors and analytics. But when you watch the Golden State Warriors play, it's fun because they're really good and the ball movement is great, and then they make shots. But when you're watching, I don't know, pick a team randomly, the Detroit Pistons make three passes and then jack up a contested three that just bricks off and you watch that <laughs> seven possessions in a row. It's not so much fun. 
Well, and then that's the issue with college basketball is that's definitely trickled down into college basketball, especially because the three point is closer. So I think teams feel they have a better shot, but they don't realize that the player is worse than the player in the NBA. So they, so the, the percentages are just as bad. And there you see even more. I mean, there are teams that literally live or die by the three. Like they'll go out and say, we're going to shoot 35 threes this game. Either we make 20 of them or we make five and we get blown out. And that is just infuriating to watch. Yeah. It is so bad when a team in college, it's, it's so bad in college when a team is just not on. And then it's like, well, they're, they're three for 37 from three point land. Maybe they'll start hitting them now. It's like, no, obviously they're not just they're go due. to plan B. <laughs> they're about to hit 12 in a row and it's going to get really exciting. But now that's my, that's my old man rant for the day. Shitting on the African cup of nations in college basketball. I did see in the news that Jim Carrey turned 60 over the weekend. I saw his weird social media post where he acted like an old man, yeah. Oh, I didn't actually even see that. I just saw that he had turned uh, 60. He did, he did. You know, he's Jim Carrey. So, he, I mean, the facial, you know, he kind of transformed his face a bit and, like, was speaking as if he didn't have any teeth. So, like, all gummy and, like, <laughs> sticking his tongue out. Like, you know, that kind of, like, old man lizard move that people get, you know, when they got yep. no teeth and the tongue's just, like suddenly doesn't have they're kind of wetting their lips at every moment he was doing that and saying he was 60 years old do you think he looks pretty good for 60 like yeah, i think it's does. pretty crazy that he's 60 he does i mean i i don't get we don't get to see him in normal circumstances right it's true so yeah, maybe looks i don't know what he terrible. How, i don't know how good he really looks yeah but when he's put together to go out and be in public yeah he looks good but it is one of those things so we discuss a few times now as we're seeing these qbs retire and move on like big ben and eli that they are markers in our lives because we remember the times when they started when they won when now they're leaving jim carrey to me is another one i I mean i grew up on jim carrey movies and to now see that he's 60 yeah it's like wow this is a guy who when i was younger i used to love all of his movies when he was probably 30 40 at the time but still it's it's crazy to see. Well, I always think that's a difficult. It's difficult for me to imagine. Like if I think back on Ace Ventura, I mean that means he was like thirty, right? Well, like thirty one, thirty two when the first mm-hmm. pet, Ace Ventura Pet Detective came out because that was what maybe like, a little 94? older, maybe even. Yeah, so thirty three. Yeah, when that comes out, so our age, it's it's but it's difficult for me to imagine. It's kind of difficult for me to attribute an age to some people from my kind of childhood or like when famous people, it's sometimes hard to actually think of them as being uh, like a real life age. It's particularly when they've achieved a lot. I thought that when I was watching the Beatles documentary, I don't know if we spoke about this on the podcast, but that Beatles documentary that's on on Disney plus. Yeah. Where it's just them talking (laughs) them in a recording studio. It's really good. It's, it's really, really good. Uh, like the insight into what is either uh, did we discuss this? I can't no. remember who I've did, but the the insight into whether or not I don't know if I came out of it with m- being more impressed by them. I mean, not that the Beatles need to be impressed by me, but more impressed or less impressed, just because like the process of watching obviously musical geniuses write music, it's just kind of people messing around on instruments a lot, yeah. and then a song kind of just appears. And part of that, like the randomness that you then see go into the process. I don't know what it takes away from it a little bit, maybe. A little bit, yeah. Where you're just like, oh, they were just kind of like messing around. And then afterwards, we've attributed some 
incredible meaning to the lyrics that they come up with, but they were literally just throwing words at a wall and, and seeing what works best. But anyway, when you then process how young they are, you know, like I think back on the Beatles breaking up and you kind of in my mind, I don't know what age I picture them being. I don't picture them being in their early thirties. You know, like George Harrison's like 29 or something. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's ridiculous. The, like he's lived what is fundamentally like an entire lifetime worth of experiences. And he's not, a, a lot of people wouldn't even consider him to be kind of a fully fledged adult almost in terms of his age. Like it's very weird. And I guess it's it's weird if you weren't around when you can kind of distinctly see them from pre-adult to adult you know like if you're just if the first memory you have of them is an adult it's tough to then distinguish at what adult age they were because back then you probably weren't so insightful as to being able to tell the difference between someone who's 28 versus 35 or 40 even but i think you know you'll start to see that with actors now who you remember when they were in younger roles like jennifer lawrence I remember her and I remember watching Winter's Bone and she was super young in that. And then now seeing her progress to being like, now she's married with a kid and is in weird movies with Leonardo DiCaprio now. Like she's fully gone. Can we discuss Don't Look Up? Have you watched it? I have not watched it. Oh, well, we can't discuss it. Then. Sorry. That's all right. I've Sam heard would have watched it. I've heard it's okay. That she wouldn't have. It's all right. Yeah. That's why I, I haven't mean, been I'm, so keen to watch it just because people have said it it's overboard on the commentary to an extent. So like it's like a here's little the thing is, on the nose. Yeah. They're hitting you over the head with the satire at yeah. times. And good satire has a degree of subtlety to it. Yeah. And they really I mean it's long. It's it's over 2 hours and it's pretty repetitive and there are some funny moments in it and I I mean I, I agree with the, the broad political message that it's trying to send. It's not like it frustrated or upset me from the actual messaging standpoint, but they're really smacking you over the head with it. And it then frustrates me. I've got friends who are like, oh, greatest, greatest political satire of our time. It's like, no, it's, <laughs> a, it's, it's a stupid movie that yeah. like very obviously made its points. It's like and SNL if, satire, just like over the yes. top, just like beating yeah. it till it's dead almost. Yeah. And that's kind and of what I heard. Reason, and, and, you know, to my friends saying that the only reason they think it's the greatest satire of our time is because they're too dumb to understand the other satire. So like, this <laughs> yeah. is the first time they've actually been like, this is satire, you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> you're right. It's satire. Like, I mean, it's barely satire because it's so obvious that I don't know if it even really qualifies as satire, yeah. but sure. I mean, the, the other argument that I'd heard was, <sighs> I mean, you can debate whether this is actually true or not, but that the purpose of good satire is to kind of make the side that's being satirized, if that's the word, kind of understand and maybe give some shift into their thinking. Whereas this, they were saying people who are against what's being said are going to see this and it will infuriate them even more and that they're going to like be more polarized than they were to start like there's no chance that this will convert people who are polarized to begin with <laughs> yeah i mean i think we're in live in a world now where converting people is a challenge no matter how you approach it but 
I mean, I would but, be interested. And that makes Sam's someone... departure from this even even more amazing. <laughs> I, I would be interested to... I understand that point, but I would be interested for someone making that argument to tell me about a previous piece of satire that has significantly changed the opinions of people who are being satirized within it. I think that's the kind of thing where sometimes you like it and you go, what a compelling argument. I better, I bet people see themselves in it and their minds get changed. And it's like, no, they don't. They see themselves in it, but they think that the way you're portraying them is completely false. And they think, look at you idiots. You're making all the wrong arguments about why I'm dumb. (laughs) This shows you how dumb you are because that's just what happens. Yes. (laughs) Especially in today's age. Maybe when it was especially books, today. Maybe when it was just books and television, movies, like film wasn't even a thing. Maybe you're pushing a few people, but in today's age, I don't see it. I mean, maybe, but I doubt that there were people reading like Albert Camus and and going, "Oh my god, I'm on the wrong side of history on this one. I better completely change my approach to the world." You know, so I don't know. I think we'd love to think that, and I think if you're if you're writing or making satirical artwork, that you you want to think that you want to be like, well, we can't we can't get the point across through arguments, so let's do it through subtle comedy, and then people just go, well, this this liberal thinks I'm a more a redneck moron, and I want to understand that he's making fun of me, <laughs> like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I did want to go to the movies though to see the new spider-man which i heard is amazing but it's it's a little risky right now to go to the movies when one in two people in arizona is testing positive for covid it seems like a death trap to sit in the movie theater for a marvel movie which will probably be about three hours long i mean that is just not not conducive to staying healthy yeah. I mean, in fairness, from my perspective, I'd probably rather catch COVID than have to sit through the <laughs> Spider-Man multiverse. But... <laughs> I also want well, I also want to see some other movies as well, but I just haven't been able to go. But most of them, I think now are either on HBO Max or you can obviously rent through through the cable because I want to see the new Bond movie. I heard that was pretty good. I haven't seen that yeah. yet. And then we need either. to debate who the next Bond's going to be because... In my Facebook, you know, you have those targeted uh, like news stories. Every fifth one is like the odds have changed for the next bond. I get them all, and I must have just clicked one. <laughs> what and now are you I just get them. To? <laughs> I definitely I don't clicked look. one, and now I get them every day. I'm not getting the that. odds are changing. I'm not getting that. They're changing well, yeah, every day, Eddie. Because <laughs> I'm not getting any of that, and I'm not hearing any of this debate at the moment. Oh, uh, it is. It is pretty hot right now. Speaking of debate, though, Dave Chappelle's in Paris right now. I actually have a bunch of friends going to. I have one friend who's going too. <laughs> who just yeah, went. Furlong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went today. I was invited to go tonight. Obviously, I couldn't just be podcast wise. It would have been complicated. Yeah, also true. I don't think Dave Chappelle would have cared. But, uh, but, <laughs> but I don't for the, for the, for the, just for the, but, and I have friends going to some of his other shows and, in some respects, he's playing pretty small venues, and they're not sold out. Like it's kind of tempting because he's obviously a you know a legendary stand-up comedian. And I have to say, I'm not I'm not someone in. We've discussed cancel culture pretty recently. I'm not saying I'm in favor of cancel culture. I don't know if I'm on board with sending a message to the world at the moment of like 
I really want to go and see a Dave Chappelle show. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's the statement I want to make. I don't want it popping up on my Instagram with people who maybe will not speak to me and get a nuanced, you know, understanding of my political and social beliefs. So just be like, yep, love Dave Chappelle, love what he stands for, love everything he says, went to his show, <laughs> took a picture. <laughs> well, Furlong said uh, he had Jeff Ross open up for him as well. And then he had most yeah. deaf afterwards do a mini concert. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Part of the reason I really wanted to go is like, and and you and I had this once when we went to a Kesha concert, because and actually Dave Chappelle oh. is performing at the same venue where we oh, saw wow. Kesha. So it's a pretty intimate venue. <laughs> I can't part believe we just told is. the world we saw Kesha. <laughs> <laughs> but, anyway. we, we, you thought outing Sam was bad on the podcast. <laughs> this is way worse. Part of it is because in the back of my mind, I'm like, could I convince Dave Chappelle to go for a beer with me? Like, this is part of, you know, like, this is part of the argument of like, yeah. oh, maybe, you know, if he's going to go and hang out at Dirty Dicks or wherever it is around there, do I bump into Dave Chappelle and Jeff Ross? And next thing you know, I'm I'm in his crew. I'm just <laughs> well, a hype man. Well, knowing your beliefs, you'd fit right in with the crew. So that that's not a problem. You just have to get that initial. Well, maybe, maybe I like sell him on including me in his crew i say i'll transition and then i'm i'm like the token tranny in his crew the token you know what i don't want to get our podcast canceled but i would love to know what defines the token tranny this is how he defends himself this is how he defends himself when people are like oh you you hate trans people be like i don't bring my friend out and I just make my way on stage, show them I'm post-op, and off we go. Great. Well, hopefully Dave Chappelle has listened to our podcast while he's still in Paris. So I know we've discussed this before, but going all the way back to the Jim Carrey part, who for you is more iconic in your life? Is it Jim Carrey or Adam Sandler? I wouldn't say either are iconic in my life. In terms of I like was, comedian, like movie comedy yeah, wise, yeah. neither. But I, I was, I never had like a huge Jim Carrey or Adam Sandler moment. I, I watched in the nineties, probably all of their movies, you know, they were like coming out at just the right age for me. I probably watched, but never was I obsessed with either of their work. I would say probably Adam Sandler gets the edge in that I probably enjoyed, but some of it's timing. Some of Jim Carrey's sort of bigger movies are early nineties and it's actually like just too early for me. Whereas the Adam Sandler stuff, a lot of it falls like mid late nineties. And so then it's really in the prime of I'm starting to choose the comedy as I'm watching. I'm not just watching stuff with my parents. Like my Jim, my memories of watching Jim Carrey film, like I can remember going to watch Liar Liar in the cinema with my dad. I never went to watch a an Adam Sandler movie with my parents. So Dumb and Dumber, ever... Dumb and Dumber came out in 94. Billy Madison came out in 95. Huge difference for me. That one year, <laughs> I, I ticked over. I went from a boy to a man. 
<laughs> but no, um, yeah, that's crazy, actually. I mean, it makes sense, but it's also crazy. Um, and then in that same a... year with Dumb and Dumber was Ace Ventura, because we've talked about this before, how they yeah. he had like that run of that one or two year run. Wow, 94. What a year. That's like Shawshank Redemption, Philadelphia. <laughs> Ace Ventura. Dumb and, Dumb and <laughs> Dumber, Dumber Ace Ventura. It was the pinnacle of cinema in America. It's when Hollywood peaked. And we've been downhill ever since then. Um, I'm, oh, I don't like Little I don't, Giants I don't came even... out in 1994. <laughs> Angels in the Outfield. <laughs> okay, that's a much more. So these are movies that speak Speed. to me a lot more than. Yeah. Oh, yeah, The that Mask. That was movies. the other one. It was The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, and Ace Ventura all came out in the same year. That was like the, his best year ever. Dumb and Dumber I've never enjoyed. I'll die on the hill that Dumb and Dumber is a bad movie. No interest in it. Oh, I love Dumb and Dumber. It's a top three comedy for me. <laughs> no, no, it's yeah, it is hundred percent. Give me your t- okay. Give me give me your top three comedies. Give me the other two. I'd have to think about if it you're a having to. Well, if you're having to think, but Dumb and Dumber because Dumb and Dumber would probably be like number one. Oh my God, Frank! It would be Dumb, Dumb and Dumber, Dumber and then. I think it would have to probably be Billy Madison would be the best of oh, the so Adam these Sandler. Are, these are your like, so you've brought these two up. They're your comedy giants. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> these are like the, the. Oh, I've watched uh, Dumb and Dumber and Ace Ventura probably at least a hundred times each. And Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore. Those four. You've watched. I've, I've never watched a movie a hundred times. I've probably watched that a hundred times. I don't. I've never watched a movie ten times. Well, you should start with, with one 10 exception, and then get to hundred. Schindler's List. With... <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Why would it be that? <laughs> I don't know what the implicate. I don't know what you're trying to imply by saying that. Are you? Am, am I uh, am I on the side of the Nazis in that one? <laughs> That's why I keep watching it. I only watched the first. I only watched the first hour and a half before things start to really turn, but. Um. Uh, no, I've not. I, I'll give Adam Sandler the edge, but Man, I liked you... Liar Liar. I will say that actually, you know what? I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Jim Carrey the edge because I actually think uh, the Truman Show out of the two of them is by far and away the best movie. Oh, like the what? Truman Show is a legit. Out of both of their bodies of work, oh, okay, the Truman Show is a legitimately good movie. Like it's interesting as a concept. It's well executed. It's still funny and kind of stupid, but as a like thought piece. Oh, what about Punch kind of Drunk Love? People absolutely love Punch Drunk Love. That always gets brought up as like the. It's such a true movie and funny, and that's like the hipster. Like, what's your favorite Adam Sandler movie? That's the hipster response. But you're right, Eddie. 1994. Unreal. Let me just throw a few classics out here. Little Giants, The Mask, Angels in the Outfield, Speed. Can we start showing some actual classics? Throw some actual classics out there? Because there's yeah, some really good movies. That come Forrest out Gump, Shawshank Redemption, Junior, Stargate, Classic. 
Street Fighter, Pulp Fiction, Legends of the Fall. That's not a good movie. I rewatched that not long ago. That is not a good movie. Beverly Hills Cop Three. Oh, <laughs> I, I was—I mean, I was thinking of the Forrest Gump versus Shawshank. Just, although I will say, I don't think Forrest Gump has aged particularly well. I don't know if you've rewatched Forrest Gump anytime recently, but it's not a great rewatch. Yeah, I mean, it's it's long and it's kind of boring. It's good to watch yeah, once. You just, watch it once, you're like, "Wow, good movie." You watch it again, and you're like, "All right." Whatever. I just think for the <laughs> the place it took, the kind of within the zeitgeist and within culture, like the quotes and the concepts of it. I mean, think it's it. There's actually a relatively successful ch- restaurant chain out of Forrest Gump existing, Bubble Gumps, and <laughs> yeah, like that's kind of crazy if you if you think about the fact that this is like an Oscar winning movie. And it's produced just a garbage chain of restaurants that you can go to, like the pier in San Francisco, and eat at. But uh, when you rewatch it and you come into it thinking this is a classic, like Shawshank Redemption, I think is sometimes a little overrated. I have to say, it's a very good movie, but some people treat it as if it is the greatest piece of art ever made. But when you come in, when if you rewatch both of them, thinking that each one of them is a classic, Shawshank holds up. Whereas Forrest Gump, you're just like, what's this weird movie where they just cut this this guy, missed, like guy with learning difficulties, into different scenes from history? <laughs> like this is <laughs> this is ninety percent of the movie. It's just me going, oh yeah, that's him with John Lennon. Oh yeah, that's him with Richard Nixon. Oh yeah, yeah. that's him with this. <laughs> like, oh, he shook that president's hand. Oh, he shook this president's hand. Yeah. And admittedly, for '94, they did a pretty good job of cutting him into things. That's the only thing that I did come away with, being like, oh, it's pretty well done. Like, it doesn't look that fake. All right, give me a year that you think movies were great. I'll go. 2007, pretty good year. Oh, yes. The Spider-Man 3 year. Great movie. <laughs> Number 23. Do you want to give, can <laughs> I give the reasons why the movies that would make that list from my perspective? Yeah. So, No Country for Old Men, There Will Be Blood. Two good movies. Juno, I enjoyed. Into the Wild, fine. I think people took it as like more meaningful than it should have been, but fine michael clayton enjoyable uh ratatouille as far as the animated movies go it's not a terrible one i'm not an atonement person but yeah decent movie you got a born born ultimatum classic matt damon and then i'll give you one that's there that's i think an underrated movie the kingdom with jamie fox i like that movie uh you got mama's boy Lars and the Real Girl, <laughs> Rush Hour 3, Beowulf, uh, the Will Smith movie, Legend. You mean I Am Legend. I Am Legend, sorry. Evan Almighty, Blades of Glory, Harry Potter 5, Order of the Phoenix, Transformers, but I don't know if that's the original Transformers. Yeah, it is. The original Transformers. Is that why? You big you big Shia LaBeouf fan? 
I mean, I love the way you say his name. Yeah. (laughs) I'll give you another year. 99. Which for me, it's coming at a good, again, a good point in my life. It's you're reaching an age where you're kind of really starting to choose your own movies and not just totally dependent on either popular kids movies or what your parents are going to make you watch. Oh, yeah, you are right. This is a good year for me. Varsity (laughs) Blues, Cruel Intentions, Big Daddy, American Pie, She's All That, Wild Wild West. (laughs) Being John Malkovich, The Matrix, Deep Blue Sea. Oh, man. There's another Beowulf. There's a Beowulf come out every year. (laughs) (laughs) Three Kings. Blair Witch. Did you say Blair Witch? Yeah. I did not say Blair Witch. The Matrix. No. I said Matrix. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mystery Men. Austin Powers 2. 98. That, that big is for me, year. too. Truman Show. The Thin Red Line, which is a movie I loved. Saving Private Ryan. Uh, I think you hit it with 99. That? I think 99 is pretty good. Blast from the Past, October Sky, Any Given Sunday. Wow. Yeah. I'll say 99. That's a good year. Yeah. Three Kings. What a stupid movie. (laughs) I remember going to see that movie. I went to see that. Stealing the gold. That's the only thing I remember for that movie. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's more than most people remember for that movie, including the people that were in it. (laughs) But I went to see that movie with my dad. It's another movie that I went to see with him. I think both of us walked out equally disappointed. You said Fight Club, right? That was that year too. I did not. Oh. That was 99? It says it's here. I'm, I'm not doubting you. Just, no, no. You're I, looking at the list. But it, it's weird because it was like all the way down the list. So it makes me question whether it was like a another release or something. But yeah. Good year. Oh, 99. Good year. 1999. Although I will say Fight Club, overrated movie. Oh, Mystery Alaska is in that year, too. That's another good movie. And The Sixth Sense. <laughs> yeah. Sixth Sense, underrated movie now. I think the thing about The Sixth Sense is like you just couldn't do that now. You couldn't have a movie where the whole, your enjoyment of the movie depends on you not knowing the twist. Yeah. And like it just would be impossible nowadays. The only way you could kind of do that now is like a Netflix, a major Netflix release, and you maybe have 48 hours to watch it before. <laughs> oh, no, oh, you know oh, what I mean? oh, like oh, before... I thought you meant like Netflix releases it. They're like, you must watch it 48 hours or the ending will that change a... every 48 hours. Oh, that would be. Oh, I like the idea of them just being like, this will be gone in 48 hours. Yeah. So, I was kind of thinking, that too, that be... was like... Um, do you ever watch the Black Mirror episode? I think it's like Bandersnatch or something like that, where you choose. You can choose your own ending. Yeah. And you choose everything, like kind of throughout it. Great yeah. concept. Didn't land well. <laughs> no, I went back and like. Tried did to do other things. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't that interesting. No. But a, a cool, yeah. conceptually a good idea. All right. Well, I think that, that settles it. 1999. Shout to us on uh, social media and tell us if you agree or disagree. It's 1999, yeah. the, the, the best year of movies for you. Yeah, Prince probably thought so. I mean, you can't argue Varsity Blues, Cruel Intentions, and She's All That. It's 
about as good as it gets. <laughs> All right, well, I guess I'll talk to you later. <laughs> See you. Cheerio.